Welcome to East Hazel Baptist Church. For all of our home folks, welcome back. For all you that may be visiting with us, we encourage you to make yourself at home today. And if there's anything that you need or any questions you have concerning the ministries here at East Hazel, uh, please see one of our staff members. Talk to one of our members. We would love to answer any questions you have. And if you are visiting with us, we encourage you before you leave to stop by our guest table in the lobby and pick up a guest bag there. It has a lot of information about our ministries. And concerning our ministries, uh, tonight is a big night as we uh, kick Awana back off. That is for age 3 through 5th grade. And tonight, for all those that are going to be a part of that, uh, we encourage you as parents to be here no later than 5 o'clock in the gym. I actually encourage you to be here a few more few minutes before that. We're going to register your children in the gym, and then we will also have... Uh, have uh, food and uh, pizza for the kids as uh, you register them and then for our adults we encourage you just to take advantage of our bible study going on in co-ed six class after you register your children um, tonight what we will do is take your children after they eat pizza uh, our tnt will and sparks will go to their rooms we want to find out where they were at it's been almost over two years since we've been in awana so uh, if you have a child that's been in Awana and has a book, please bring that book with you so we can kind of see where those children are at and we're going to pick up where we left off. For some of them, they actually change clubs, so they're going to get new books. So tonight, that's what that's about. Our, tea, our, our cubbies, our preschool, will be in the gym doing games and then we'll take them upstairs to the preschool area. So to say all that, tonight's a big night and we encourage you to take advantage of that and we're excited that we can start Awana back. But I'm going to ask everyone to stand 
I want to read a passage of scripture from 1 Timothy or 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 it says this but you that is us you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and we have the opportunity to do that to proclaim the praises of our great and mighty God and let's do that as we gather for worship
The Lord is great, isn't he? I want to share a few things. I'm going to invite you to come just in a few moments, and we're going to have a time of prayer. I want you to really think about interceding on behalf of those in your bulletin. I want you to pick one or two names out of the bulletin this week, and I want you to pray for them. Today, we want to remember Sandra Presley. I want you to pray for her, and Dinah Purser, I want you to remember her. Uh, Rick uh, contacted me, Hams, last night. He said, remember Brenda. So pick you a few names and pray for them all week long. They need your prayers. Let's pray one for another. In saying that, I want to share this with you about Trent's story. He texted me just a few minutes ago. And uh, he, Trent's up in, uh, here it is. He's up in uh, South Asia serving the Lord. He says, got to worship with a group of around 40 young believers and share my story with them. Such an honor. God is raising up a mighty people here. You know, it's against the law to share the gospel where he's at. He'll put you to death. Aren't we blessed this morning? Aren't we blessed to be able to come here and have this freedom that we have? Let's not take it for granted. I want to read to you the scriptures in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness, weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Listen to this. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There's times in our lives that we feel like we can't even pray. There's times in our life that we face things that we know, know nothing about and we can't even seem, seemingly pray when we're going through difficulties and hard times. But aren't you thankful that God himself intercedes on our behalf? So as they sing, would you come and join us as we pray together. You come, and let's pray for those in need this morning. You come. Father, without you, we can do nothing. But we want to just come before your throne and thank you that, God, that you intercede on our behalf. Lord, you make groanings and you pray for us and we can't even pray for ourselves. You're a faithful Father who loves us and you walk with us in life. And, Father, you hear our hearts cry. And you said in Peter to cast all our care upon you for you care for us. And, Father, this morning we want to pray for those on the prayer list this morning. Father, I lift up Sandra to you this morning. I pray you'd bless her and help her and her family as she's going through this hard time. I pray you'd intercede on her behalf. And Father, for Dinah, that you'd be with her. And, and Father, be with Brenda, Lord, as she's at home. And Rick and the family. And Father, we want to thank you this morning that we can pray one for another. Lord, you've called us out. Lord, to pray one for another and encourage one another. And Lord, I pray for Trent and those who are serving there in East Asia. God, I pray for his team as they're traveling across the country for divine protection, that God, that you'd overlook their lives, that they share the gospel, Lord, in a world that's shut down because they don't want to hear the truth. But Lord, we're so grateful this morning that we have the privilege to be able to share the truth here this morning. Would you bless this hour of preaching? Would you bless this hour of singing? Father, would you answer the prayers that are being brought before you this moment and answer them according to your will? Father, may they bring you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's a place we long for, no matter where the road takes us. We feel it deep in our bones when storms threaten. When darkness falls, we look for light, shelter, a door always open to us where we find comfort and rest, food and friendship, a place to grieve, a place to celebrate, to know and be known, a place of permanence, a place to call home. And though no dwelling built by human hands can last, when we fill our homes with love, when we welcome friend and stranger, we get a glimpse of what is to come. A place that stands prepared, full light, where no tear will fall, and goodbye is never uttered, where we will no more long for home. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. And as you're turning there, last week we talked about the first eight verses. We didn't go into great detail about verses 5 through 8. We may do that next week. But what John tells us and what John sees is this. Is that for a Christian, better days are coming, right? For all of us, regardless of what happens in your life, whether good or bad, that if you're a born-again Christian and when you die, that that's when your life really truly begins, Okay? A land of no more sorrows, no tears, no crying, no pain for the former things that passed away. All the bad here is going to pass away. This earth is going to pass away, verse 1 tells us. The heavens that you see is going to pass away. The only thing that will not pass away is where God is now in the third heaven. And then John gets this great picture of this city. I've had some of my preacher buddies say, oh, it doesn't matter what the city is because we're going to have great relationships in heaven. Well, God goes into great detail to describe it. Isn't it amazing? And didn't God go into great detail in the Old Testament to describe the temple and the tabernacle? And if you read Hebrews, every part of the temple, the brazen altar, the lampstands, everything in the temple, the writer of Hebrews says, was a picture of some aspect of Jesus' life. And then you get to this great city, we talk about walls. Boy, they're big. That talks about the permanence of this city. It also talks about, the, uh, in my opinion, the eternal security of the believer. You have gates of pearl. And those pearls represent the sacrifice of Jesus. Every time you go in and out this city, those, those pearls, scholars tell us, will give you an idea of the sacrifice that Christ paid. The foundation stones is where we can get our word mercy from. The mercy of God is why we're in heaven. We don't get what we deserve, aren't you thankful? Okay, aren't you thankful? And then the beautiful colors of this city. What a beautiful thing. This city is so big, it's so large. The gates are open, 12 gates, which says you are welcome today to enter into that city. See, there's only two, two groups of people here today. Those whose names are written in the book of life and those who aren't. And I would encourage you today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, to do that today. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's going to be the great uh, aspect of this city is that the gates are open. The gates have always been open. The gates of salvation are open to you today. If you'll stand with me, let's read these verses. They're very long, but we're going to read them. And notice verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me. Now understand this, this angel. Read verse 16 of, of, or chapter 16 of Revelation if you want to find out which one of these angels were. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Came to me and talked to me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, which means the city could be there now, and it probably is, having the glory of God. And that's the main part about this city. This city, this is why it's so important. It represents throughout the universe the glory of God. Her light was like of a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. You're welcome to come. 
and they're open. That's what's wonderful. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Think about this. God honors Israel, the chosen people in the Old Testament, and he honors the apostles who represent the church, the chosen people of the New Testament. Throughout all eternity, he's going to honor both the nation of Israel and the church. And he who talked with me had a great read to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city was laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furloughs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now, I've never seen pure gold on this planet. We've never seen it. But John says, when I saw this, it looked like pure gold. Okay, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophras, the eleventh jacket, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the, city, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And then verse 27 shows us the second group of people. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you as we talked about last week, Lord, that better days are coming. And Lord, we have a better place to go to. Lord, what a massive, magnificent city which pictures that all people for all times, the gates are open. Father, your salvation is for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, Lord, can be saved. And Father, I pray that, Lord, as this gospel invitation is given today, that if there's anyone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I'm reminded that the Old Testament saints looked for this city. Jesus said he goes to prepare this city, and Father, one day we'll live in this city. So, Father, we thank you for that. Lord, what a great future we have. Father, regardless of what life throws at us, as your children and you're our Father, Lord, we have a better place to go to, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And, Father, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, there are people here today who are struggling financially. Lord, we have members of our church who are battling various illnesses, Lord, in their body physically. And, Lord, some of us here today, Lord, are struggling emotionally. And, Lord, I pray that this section of Scripture, Lord, which is written to encourage, would encourage us. And, Lord, I pray that it would also, uh, Lord, um, really inspire us to share the gospel. We all have family and friends and neighbors, co-workers who are lost. And, Lord, we have the best news that this world has ever heard, that we can be born again. And I pray that we would share it for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all the God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. The city that we're talking about today has been promised. Notice on the screen, Jesus made this promise in John 14, which is not on the screen. He said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. This city is referred to a number of times in the book of Hebrews. I think it's basically chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 16 or not chapter 16, but over and over again, it mentions this city in Hebrews 11. The Bible says this, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, but that, only, but that was only temporary, for he was really looking for a place, and verse 10 tells us, which is not on the screen, he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a city that's past the earthly city, but to a heavenly one. And then in verse 16, it talks about Abraham and Sarah and other men and women of faith. And it says, who desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then in chapter 13, in, in verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, We do not here have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. 
And what, are, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's writing to Jewish Christians who are struggling with their faith, they're suffering persecution, and what he's saying is this, hang in there, because it won't be long before you'll be in the heavenly city. So three times in Hebrews chapter 11, 12, and 13, they talk about there is a Jerusalem to come. And this city is called the Bride of Christ. And why is it called the Bride of Christ? I like what John MacArthur says. He says, because it draws its character from its occupants, and its occupants are the eternal Bride of Christ, now enlarged beyond the church to encompass all the redeemed of all the ages. In Jesus' day and before, you, you really associated a city with the occupants of the city. That's why there was a term, a derogatory term, called Corinthianize, because of the immorality of the city. So when John sees this city, he calls it the Bride of Christ. Okay? Because this city represents the occupants of the city, which is, and as John MacArthur says, it takes on the character of its inhabitants. It is a city with virgin beauty, virgin virtue, and intimate relationship to the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing I see here today, we're going to look at the angel, the walls, and the book. The first thing I see here is the angel. Notice what the Bible says about this angel in verse 9. The Bible makes this very clear. It says, Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying... Now, when you think about this angel, okay, this is one of the angels that had a bowl of wrath in chapter 16 of Revelation during the Great Tribulation, which poured out God's wrath and judgment on the earth. Notice what one of these angels did in Revelation 16. Well, in Revelation 16, verse 1, the Bible says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And this is what one of the, the bowls did. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts. The cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hell because the plague was so terrible. So in chapter 16, during the Great Tribulation, you see God using angels to pour out His wrath on the earth and the unbelieving. And the Bible says with each bowl, with the wrath of God, the people did one thing. They all had one thing in common. Notice this verse. This will help you with your evangelism. And the people cursed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Isn't that an amazing thought? Think about that. They refused to repent. How could somebody see a miraculous thing happen, okay, and they understand it's God's judgment, and instead of bowing in repentance and asking for forgiveness, they curse God and refuse to repent. God's saying that's what's going to happen in the future. We see it all the time now, though, don't we? I remember getting a call, and, and, and I make a lot of hospital visits before COVID, especially before COVID. And somebody said, will you go see this person? Okay, I kind of knew the person, didn't know him real well, younger person, but they had gotten a, a terminal disease, okay? And they asked me to go see him, and I had to drive about an hour to go see him. I said, I'll be more than happy to go. And, and I didn't ask if they knew I was coming, but I went there, went in the ICU room, and this person had their family with them. And when I walked in, this person, you could tell they were very sick. They only had about a week or two to live. And this person says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, your relative called and asked if I would come. And this person said, I didn't ask you to come. And I said, I hear you're very sick. And he said, it's none of your business. And I said, well, I just want to share this, that the Lord loves you. He said, I don't care. Don't care. I said, you mind if I pray with you? He says, I don't want you praying for me. So you know what I did? I left. And about a week, that person died. Okay? Some people will not get saved. There are some of you, you're like I was when I was 20. Wait till next week. Lord, I'll give my life to you next Sunday. That's the way I used to thought. thought you had to be saved in church, right? And I didn't get saved in church. Wait till next Sunday. What's next Sunday? This is next Sunday. You may not have another Sunday, amen? Are you going to be like these people? You know, Jesus said this. He said, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, then a whole lot of people come and get saved. When Jesus shared the parable of the rich man and the beggar, the rich man is in hell. He don't ask out. He says, will you send somebody from the dead to tell my brothers 
uh, uh, resurrect them and send somebody from the dead and tell them not to come to this place. You know what Jesus said? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe some guy resurrected from the dead. And what Jesus was saying is this. If they've read the Bible and that don't convince them, some miraculous thing's not going to convince them anyway. So I would encourage you today, while to, you have today, Paul said today is the day of salvation. But understand this, if there's a limit to your evangelism, there's only so much you can do, okay? And Jesus told his, his disciples when he sent them out, if they refuse the gospel, just kick the dust off your feet and go on. That's all you can do, amen? Because some people are not going to repent regardless of what happens. And I hope it's not you today. And I hope it's not anyone watching on Facebook or Vimeo or all these other things. But that is the angel. And the angel shows John this city. Notice the city of God. The most magnificent cities in the world cannot compare to the one God is preparing for those who believe in Jesus. This city is called the Father's house because it is where we will dwell in and out. And what kind of city would God make? Number one is this. God would make a city full of his glory. Notice verse 11. The Bible says this. And he showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. When Moses asked to see God's glory in Exodus 33, God said this, No man can see my face and live. And Moses said, I want to see you. So God said to him, You have to put a veil over your face, and I'll let a little bit of my afterglow shine on you, because you could never see the full glory, full, see me in my full glory. And John MacArthur said this, In the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, the brilliance of God's presence, rested on the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. The prophet Ezekiel informs us that the glory departed before the final destruction of Solomon's temple. While the builders of the second temple prayed for the glory to return, there's no record, according to Haggai, that it ever did. Israel's only hope at that time was that the glory of God would return one day. For over 400 years between Malachi and the New Testament, the temple was dark, and empty. It stood as a symbol of Israel's empty ritual. There is no glory, no presence of God, no power. However, God eventually took on flesh and come in the form of a baby, and the angels appeared outside of Bethlehem, and the glory returned, and they said this, glory to God in the highest. Even then, however, God's glory, glory, the glory of God's light was shadowed by human flesh. The glory of God was seen by the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ's glory became visible for a brief time. But what John sees in this vision, however, is the full and open disclosure of the glory of God, the very glory Moses couldn't see, the very glory that was reserved in the body of Jesus, and, and the very glory that was reserved in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies, we will experience every day of our, our lives. Because the city represents the glory of God. Stephen Lawson put it this way, the celestial city's brilliance or bright light is the effect of the divine glory shining throughout the city. Not only does this city represent the glory of God, but it also has great high walls. And the, the amazing thing about this walls is there's three things I want you to see. And the first thing is this, the foundations. Look at verses 19 and 20. John writes this. He makes this statement. He said, The city foundation, or the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. One scholar put it this way, The foundation stones of the city were all adorned with every kind of precious stones. And Stephen Davey put it this way, he said, stop at this point for a moment. We might get the idea that each foundation stone was decorated with gems. However, the language John uses is better understood to mean that each one of these foundation stones was a solid gem. To give an idea of the staggering glory of the stones in the Father's house, when Herod rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the foundation stones were 70 feet long, 8 feet tall, 9 feet wide. The walls of the heavenly city will require absolutely gigantic foundation stones, However, keep in mind that these will be solid gemstones created by God not only to support the city walls, but also to reflect light around and away from them in a stunning display of beauty. And John gives a description of the sapphire stone, which was a deep blue. The Chaldonsi stone was greenish blue. The emerald, of course, is deep green. The sardonic stone is a white stone with bands of brownish red streaks in it. Sard Sardis stone is a deep red gemstone. The chrysolite is a gold-colored gemstone. The barrel stone is a teal blue stone. Topaz is a golden greenish stone. Chrysophras is a pale green gemstone. Jankith is a pale violet color. The amethyst, of course, is purple. And one, one scholar put it this way, the brilliant light of God's glory will pass through these many different colored stones, and it will be breathtaking. And if you look at the word foundation and how it's worded, 
One, one scholar put it this way, it, it really points to God's mercy. mercy. He said that Greek word is taken from a word that means to bend down. That's what one must do in order to lay a foundation is to get down into the dirt, into the rock, into the earth itself. And amazingly, he says, that idea to bend down is the root idea behind the Old Testament word for mercy. This whole city, New Jerusalem, in that building, build, bending down sense anyway, can be said to be a picture or a type or a symbol of God's marvelous mercy, His grace and His loving kindness. One of the great attributes of God is that God shows mercy. Over and over again in the Bible, we see God showing mercy. When the woman was caught in adultery, the Bible says she was caught in the very act, and the religious leaders tried to, tried to point her out. You know what Jesus showed this woman? Incredible mercy. He didn't give her what she deserved. Aren't you thankful for mercy? God's mercies are new every morning. And when you're in that city and you see the foundation stones, you're going to relive over and over again the great mercy of God. Then notice the walls color, verse 12. The Bible says it was like a jasper stone. Jasper. Can you imagine light pouring through jasper? Think about that. Have you ever seen light go through something that was kind of jasper looking? You know what color that, that shows us? You know what color that is? It's a beautiful Carolina blue color. It is, really. And the sky's Carolina blue, isn't it? Now, we had a bad night last night, and it's none of your business, okay? I was there, so you pray for me. I'm just picking. Verse, verse 17 tells us its size. Look, it's about... When you look at verse 17 and, and, you, and you read the measurements, it says the, the length of the city, or the width of the city, I'm sorry, of these walls is about 72 yards. Three-quarters of a football field. That's how wide the city's walls are. Verse 15 and 16, the measurements that are given. One, one scholar put it this way. He said, In Solomon's temple, with all its glory and splendor, with all its glory and splendor, was in the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. Perfect cube. This city is a perfect cube. Twice as big as the Old Testament tabernacle, Holy of Holies. And this city is about 1,500 miles. It's 1,500 miles in length and width and its height. They're equal. 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500, depending on the measure of a stadium. They all, all scholars have a different idea of that measurement. The city is so large that most people try to spiritualize it. Think about the square miles of this city. 2,250,000 square miles. London covers about 140 square miles. This city is 20 times as big as New Zealand, 10 times as big as Germany, 10 times as big as France, 40 times as big as all of England, and it's bigger than India. Imagine how many Walmarts you could fit in this city and Dollar Generals. All right, they're going to be there. It's, it's 3,375,000 cubic miles. That's how big this city is. It could house 100 billion people. 100 billion people just in the city. More than all the people who have ever lived. That's just the city. All the cities of the world are small towns compared to this city. And this is easy for God. A wall 1,500 miles high, the tallest building in the world, it would take 30 seconds for an elevator to reach the top. Tallest building in the world right now. I think it's in the Mideast. You know how long it would take an elevator to reach the top of this city? 40 hours. That's how big it is. Could God really make a city like this? He made Mount Everest, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he made that. He made the Pacific Ocean, which is fairly large. He made the Milky Way. You know what the earth is in the Milky Way? Like a speck of dust on my finger. Really. Could God make a city like this? Of course he could. Notice the gates in verse 12 and 13. That's a gate about every 500 miles. There are angels at the gates. The Bible says in verse 12 that there are 12 gates, and they're all guarded as the entry to the Garden of Eden was by an angel. And then you have names, and names are written on them. Each gate had a name written on it, and each of those names was taken from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Stephen Davy put it this way, talking about the foundation and the gates. He said, each of the 12 gates has a name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on it. He says in verse 14, you notice, these are not the only names. John writes, on the city gates, and there are names of the 12 sons of Israel. And on the 12 foundation stones, there are inscribed the names of the 12 apostles. The significance of the names is the fact that God is both referencing and distinguishing Israel and the church. This text, by the way, is the last nail in the coffin of replacement theology, which postulates that the church has taken the place of Israel. 
the names of the twelve apostles carved into the foundation stones and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel carved into the city gates makes an eternal distinction between them makes an eternal distinction between them God intends to remind the inhabitants of heaven his beloved people are drawn to him by grace out of every dispensation of his plan through the nation Israel in the Old Testament and through the church birth in the New Testament one has not violated the other and verse 21 says and the twelve gates were twelve pearls pearls were the diamonds of the modern culture of that day Pearls were, in Jesus' day, the most precious stones. Among the ancients, the pearl was the highest value among the precious stones. Pearls were so sought after that Paul said this to the ladies in the church in Ephesus. He says, don't wear your pearls to church. He says, don't wear them to church. And the reason is because they're the most precious stone. And he says, what's going to happen is people are going to be drawn to your pearls and not to the preacher. And he says, just don't wear your pearls to church. That was the culture at that time. Because the pearls were so valuable. Pearl merchants in Jesus' day were well-known and respected. Everybody respected a pearl merchant. Jesus said this, that the kingdom of heaven is like finding a pearl of great price. John Phillips t says this about the pearl. He says, how appropriate for a gate. All other precious gems are metals or stones, but a pearl is a gem formed within the oyster. It's the only one formed by living flesh. The humble oyster receives an irritation or a wound and around the offending article that is penetrated and hurt it. The oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, is the answer of the oyster to which it injured it. And the glory land, and the glory land is God's answer in Christ to the wicked men who crucified heaven's beloved and put him to open shame. How like God it is to make the gates of New Jerusalem pearls. The saints that come and go will forever be reminded as they pass the gates of glory that access of God's home is only because of Calvary. And then in verse 25 it says that gates will not be shut at all. And if you notice the word not at all, it's a double negative, indicating that there's no possibility of ever needing to close the gates. Why would you close the gates in the Old Testament times? Is to keep animals out and invaders out. And what God is saying is that in the New Jerusalem, that the gates will always be open. How many of you lock your doors at night? I grew up in Hidnight. We locked everything. Right? We locked it all. We'd, we'd put a gate around our house if we could. Okay? Now, I remember spending a night with one of my buddies from Sugarloaf. And I was about 10 or 11. And was out there past 11 in Baptist Church, out in, the, out in the boondocks, we called it back in the day. And I remember going to bed, and his dad had a screen door. It had a hook. And that's how you hooked Keep the screen door locked, right? Y'all remember those? Well, he didn't hook it. Left the door open. The screen door was shut, but it wasn't locked. And we went to bed upstairs. And I looked at my buddy and I said, your daddy not going to lock those doors? He said, we don't lock the doors out here. I said, I'll be back in a minute. You know what I did? I went downstairs and locked, locked the doors. Okay, because I grew up in Hidnight. And we locked our doors. You know what we did in Hidnight? And our church knows this. Because our windows didn't have locks on them. You remember back when they had glass bottles? You remember that? The only way you can get a glass bottle now is go to the Philippines or Haiti. Okay? And we put Pepsi bottles up on our windows. That was our security system because my mom worked third shift. Now, I'm 10 years old, living in Hidnight. Right? And guess what would happen every now and then? I remember two distinct times in the middle of the night, bottles shattering because somebody's trying to get in the windows. Okay? Now, think about this. The gates are never locked. They're open. You'll be protected for all eternity. Isn't that a blessing? Think about the peace that you'll have in heaven. How many, think about this, how many nights of peace do you have? You know the reason a lot of people can't sleep? They don't have peace. Even if you have peace with God because of life in general, there's just no peace. And it keeps you up at night, don't it? That's why Walmart sells melatonin. So you can take it. Okay, because the, the struggles and in, in the, in the, in the strain of this life can bring an anxious heart if we're not careful. Now notice again, its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. What an amazing city. Walls, gates, plenty of room. One person said, one person made this, this statement that there's a gate everywhere, and the gates are open. Welcome on all sides. Verse 13 says they're all over, north, south, east, and west, which tells us this. Think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, anybody... At all time, regardless of your race, your economic status, regardless of who your parents are, your past is, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The end of the book of Revelation says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone, 
anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, let them come. Erwin Lutzer said this, The simple message is this, that you can come into the city from every direction, from wherever you are. It is a great symbol in our present age of the universalness of the gospel invitation, that whoever, wherever the sinner stands, whatever his condition and position and status, however numerous his sins, there is a gate on his side to the Savior's mercy, so no one can say there's no way he can get to the Lord. They are open now, and they will be open. You do not need to wait until next year. God welcomes you into his city. I remember being at Rock Barn for a Campus Crusade for Christ fundraiser. It was a captain's choice tournament. And the speaker that day, was uh, he was a tight end for the Cleveland Browns. It wasn't Ozzie Newsom. I can't remember his name. And he said this. He preached, and he said that John wrote that we can know that we have eternal life. That's what this man said. And he's speaking to businessmen. Most of these people there had money, right? But me, I was the only one who didn't have any money. And, and he goes, listen, I want to tell you something. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? He says, there's some of you guys in here, you've never worried a day in your life about money. You hadn't. But he said, that's not going to help you on the day that you die. And he said, I played for the Cleveland Browns, and that means nothing to God. I, don't, I can't remember if he's in the Hall of Fame or not. He gave some of his stats. He said, that means nothing to God. But he said, when he was a certain age, he bowed his knee to Jesus and asked him to be his Lord and Savior. And he said, I want to tell everybody in here one thing. He said, when I read the book of Revelation, it says it's got 12 gates. He said, this old boy is going through one of them. He said, are you? And you know, some of those businessmen that day were born again. Listen, God's invitation is open to you today. Today. You may not have tomorrow. You may not. You may. You may not. But God's invitation, north, south, east, and west, those gates are open today. And for all eternity, you're going to know that God welcomed all people from all times, of all races, and all backgrounds to come. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Why is that so important? Because God's got a book. Notice, notice the book. The Bible says this in verse 27. But there shall be no means enter it anything that defiles or causing an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I wonder if God's kidding. You think he's joking? You think God's got a sense of humor and just saying, oh, I'm just joking about this? See, I told you at the start of this message, there's two people, two types of people in this room. The people whose names are in the book and the people who are not. Daniel put it this way. Talking about the end times, he said, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name was found written in the book of life, will be delivered, meaning those who are saved. God said to Moses, your name is written in my book. It will not be blotted out. Jesus told the 72 who came back from witnessing, after they had gone out preaching and teaching the gospel, the disciples returned to Jesus saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You know what Jesus said? Then he said this. But Jesus told him, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. I placed my faith and trust in Jesus on October 30th, 1990, between 7.15 and 7.30, about a mile from this church. I wasn't in church. No choir was singing. Nobody dressed up. Wasn't, wasn't nothing but me and a, a guy, my wife, and my best friend. All right, and he shared the gospel, and I placed my faith in Jesus. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life? I had no idea what he's talking about. Had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't, know, didn't even know what that was. And then I started studying it later as you grow spiritually, and I think, man, what a tremendous honor. That God himself, don't make no mistakes. See, you may not know about your salvation. You may doubt it. God don't doubt it. He don't doubt it. That's a legal term that your name is recorded in heaven. There's no mistakes. I didn't make mistakes. See, you're, there's two groups of people here today, those that are saved and those that are lost. Is your name in the book? Has God written with his own hand your name? James Oliver Steele, October 30th, 1990, placed his faith in Jesus, legally binding for eternity. Every doctrine around your salvation is legal in the courtroom of heaven. Okay, 
Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I'm going to ask our musicians to come. If you'll stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed, we're not going to give a long invitation. The invitation basically is if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord, that I would encourage you to do that now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord, I would encourage you to pray something like this. Jesus, I am a sinner, and you're a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you died and was buried. I believe you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today, I place my faith, hope, and trust in you alone for my salvation. And Jesus, today, I ask you to save me. Today, I give my life to you. Today, I repent of my sin. I place my faith and trust in you. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Friends, if that's the desire of your heart, this altar's open for you this morning. And I would encourage you to come and make that public. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. And Father, we pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. so much for being here today. A couple things before you're dismissed. I want to remind our senior adults that you have a luncheon um, Tuesday at 11 a.m. in the gym. It'll be our Valentine's luncheon, so I want to encourage everyone to come to that if you're a senior, senior adult. Also, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you would like to talk to me about it, okay, my number is in the bulletin and I would love to talk to you about your salvation, okay? God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight for Awana and Bible study. God bless you and you're dismissed.